just fine. I just watched something you wanted me to watch. Yes, uh, I sometimes force Andrew to watch movies. <laughs> you don't really, you're not really pushy with the movies. No, no, it's it's okay except for one of them. One of them, not too. Not okay. Too fun. Well, the reason I thought about this was uh, of all the big movies this year, of course, Jurassic World is the most successful, but its villain is a dinosaur. So I was thinking, who is the, the big villain of the summer? We had a great villain in Fury Road. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a good villain in Terminator, which I have not seen yet. You have. Yeah, I have. But I was thinking, man, James Spader really just killed it. For I loved Avengers. Did you see the new Avengers? Yeah, I did. And I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Nothing he did was really cliche like I've seen it before. And I started looking back on his career, and I discovered that 30 years ago was when he made his cinematic debut. He had done TV stuff. He did TV? I didn't I didn't know he did TV before. Yeah, he did a, a TV series that only lasted like six episodes, but he made his breakthrough in a movie with Dennis Weaver called Cocaine. He played his son. Oh. But it was 1985 where he got cast in Tough Turf and The New Kids, which is basically his cinematic breakthrough. I thought it was cool. It was 30 years ago. And then he's playing the big villain again this summer. So I thought, hey, why don't we watch these two movies and see what we think of them? Yeah, I, I want to I wanna say something about the 80s and bully movies it seemed to be okay any high school movie is a bully movie basically there's got to be that dynamic the bully guy is going to try to usurp whatever perceived power the protagonist has that's in every movie from the blackboard jungle movies to now but in the 80s it seemed like that was just about almost the only plot karate kid it, it was pretty heavy well if if it wasn't that there was always some sort of bull except for ferris bueller there was not a bully no no bully in ferris bueller except the unless sister. you count yeah unless you count the ferris is the what what if i've always seen ferris bueller as edward rooney's movie <laughs> yeah like yeah, even as a kid i was like man i don't like principles but they're really just brutal to this guy yeah i also like he's the hero and ferris and his sister kind of jerks yep that's true however these two movies are like the, the one coin two different sides yes and both sides are played by james spader now which one do you want to get into first tough turf Meet Morgan Hiller. First day in a new school. You ready for it? I always. He's got an attitude. They've got a problem. He lives in two worlds, always behind enemy lines. Tough turf. He's a loner on a roll, an outsider on the edge, caught between a dangerous loser and the girls they both love. She belongs to Nick. Come on, Jimmy. Lincoln freed the slaves. They can't shut him down. Body heat on contact. And they can't cool him off. Tough turf. Nobody takes anything that I own. Nobody. He stands alone, and one way or the other, he's going to make this town his own. He's always been a rebel. Now, he's about to become a hero. Tough turf. Featuring music by Southside Johnny, Lena Lovitch, Marianne Faithful, Jim Carroll, and Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Tough Turf. I think it's really odd. I looked the history of this movie up. Did you know that Tough Turf opened a week before the New Kids? No. Tough Turf comes out on the 11th, and on the 18th, the New Kids came out. Wow. And uh, I was like, that's crazy. That's just, how did that even happen? I love Tough Turf. So they were both made in 1984, it seems. Yeah. But Tough Turf, I'm just going to talk about the music first. Tough Turf's music is mostly good until you get to live bands. The live bands are mostly terrible, except for the one at the country club. The one at the country club is really funny because the guy keeps commenting like, I'm having a great time in the middle of his singing, Yeah. which is really funny. Is that the one that Robert Downey Jr. is in the band? He's the drummer? No, no, no. Sorry. That live band is... 
is the Jim Carroll band. Okay. Basketball Diaries is about him, that movie. He did All the People Who Died. That's his big famous song. Yeah, okay, that's what I was going to say. I thought that's what that was his song. So that's Robert Downey. That scene is cool. That band is fine. But I'm talking about the Country Club Band, which is laughable, but fun. And Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Oh, I love Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. I don't. I, I was w- wishing, I was wishing so much, and my wish didn't come true because it can't happen, because that doesn't, that's, wishes don't come true. Oingo Boingo was in that spot instead of... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. okay, I'll say this. Jack Mack and the Heart Attack does not fit the movie. Not the movie, okay, at all. So, the movie is, the tone is set immediately with that creepy song by Marianne Faithful, which I absolutely love. She has a very haunting way of singing, and it kind of sets the pace of the movie, and uh, it ends with Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Now, uh, that tough song that they sing is catchy, but it doesn't fit with the movie, so I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. Okay, now let's go back to the story. The stories of the two movies are very similar. It's just the tone switches. Yeah. Uh, basically, they're both about new kids coming to a town yes. where you know something has either gone wrong with their parents or you know financial straits, and they end up facing up against the bullies. Now, wait. And that's it's almost the same exact plot. In Tough Turf, it's him having always gotten into trouble in various places. Oh, that's right. That's Because right. he's I'm got sorry, a silver spoon and he doesn't feel like he should be entitled to anything. He's actually one of those really cool rich kids where he doesn't want to be rich. He doesn't like the entitlement and all that stuff. So he goes about bucking the system. That's why they moved. And, uh, and that's what they did. Yeah, the movie starts off with him taking on a gang. They're like basically being hostile to an older gentleman. They're mugging him. And he basically decides to get in their uh, way. You know, spray paints them, kicks them down or whatever. And basically sets uh, about just being like, All this while on it's his weird bicycle. Yeah, well, I think the weird thing is about both movies is that your heroes are not wimps. You know, they're antagonists at certain points in the movie. Which is the cliche of a lot of 80s movies is that they take someone really wimpy and they either have to toughen him up or, you know, some sort of other thing comes in to save his day, like My Bodyguard. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Heavenly Kid. And uh, yeah. the, the kids are already tough and smart in the first place, so I thought that was kind yeah. of against yeah, the yeah. trend. Okay, so he comes into town. He's just on his bike. You don't even know him. You barely even see him when he's introduced. He's on his bike and he stops a mugging Kim Richards, who is one of the from uh, Witch Mountain. Yeah, she's uh, the Witch Mountain movies, and now she's a Beverly Hills housewife. What? I just, Seriously? Yeah, she's on. She's on one of those shows. No kidding. Anyway, uh, I just learned that. That's weird to me. Yeah, she's the tough girl. It's immediate that she's already got an interest sparked in him when he rides his bike off after he stops the mugging. She's they just zoom in on her face and she's like, ah. So he goes to school, and he meets Robert Downey Jr., and I was like, this is the start of their relationship, Tony Stark and Ultra. Right, right. They've done like three or four things, though, together, right? They've done plenty. And from there, you take the rest of the story. So basically, it's he falls in love with Kim Richards' character. I mean, it's mutual. Uh, they start getting interested in each other. She is kind of playing down. She seems to come from a decent family, but she's selling herself cheap for some reason. And now she finds what it's like to be on his side. You know, with a solid family, having money, being respectful. And she's kind of torn, but she's more interested in James Spader. But her old boyfriend will not let go. Oh, wait. What's that? Her mom had died. And so she's really sensitive about oh, her mom yeah. having died from cancer. She's got the anger issues, and so she's lashing out and being with the gang. Well, when I was watching this, I was thinking that. It was like Freaks and Geeks, where uh, the main character, her uh, grandfather dies, and she kind of, like, breaks away from her group or whatever and goes with, you know, kind of considered the freaks. Of course, these freaks are much worse than the ones in the TV show. Now, the bad guy reminded me of Nick Cassavetes and the Wraith, but a lot more 
whiny. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was kind of a wimp. No, he was very low self-esteem. It's actually a really layered character because you can tell that this guy is behaving the way he is because it's it's all society's made him what he is sort of thing. Uh, only a lad. Another Oingo Boingo reference. Yeah. Except it's really all his responsibility because when you're a downtrodden youth, you don't have to be a jerk. No, but it's hard to just... rationalize that in your brain when you're a kid. Even though this guy looks like he's roughly 30 trying to play a teenager. Yeah, right. He's, he's like, he's been held back five years. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of 80s uh, movies. You're looking at going, no, you are not even close to college age. What are you What are you doing? <laughs> right. That guy's gone on to be a director, by the way. I don't Has he? Who, who is he? What has he done? I don't know the movies. I don't know the movies. Oh, okay, because he looks very familiar. I just don't know where I've seen him. And then, of course, we have our big showdown at the end of the movie, which uh, this is the only part of the movie that bothers me, is that showdown goes on what seems like forever. It could have been cut in half. I feel like it just kept going and going. You're like, oh, wrap it up, people. Punch him in the face. Get this done with. You're skipping one of the most important parts, which is what the Jim Carroll rock and roll show where everybody knows dances. Not just everybody knows dances. They all know the same choreography dance. You look up IMDb, oh, there that is cliche. a ton. I think this is where the cliche started. There are a ton of credits, and they're all just dancer, 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 dancer. Yeah. Watching that scene, one of the most fun things about this movie is just watching that scene and the people in the background, because some of them are just extras. They're goofy dancing, yeah. silly 80s dancing, maybe not quite pogoing, but then suddenly everything turns into this super choreographed, almost square dance sort of thing, but new way. The movie itself it's so weird. more focused on the music part than anything else. It's a good movie, but at the same time, it feels like someone said, hey, MTV's really hot right now, we need to make this like an MTV-style movie. Yes. Like, oh, uh, Footloose was a, a thing, so I think that's what they were trying to integrate. Just yeah. the whole, people like dancing. Well, dancing movies were really hot back then. We, You know, you had Flashdance, you had the breaking movies. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, and Fame. You know, that, that whole environment of dancing and having fun. Uh, so, <laughs> the big fight scene at the end, you thought it was long as Yeah, I'm, every time I watch it, I'm just like this is too long man you gotta cut this down yeah i really felt bad for his father oh yeah getting shot that was rough yeah and that's where like you see the character there's a turning point when the bad guy as opposed to the the next movie in which the bad guy goes bad but he also kind of panics it's kind of one of those he shoots but like that's the thing that's what i'm saying that's the turning point he yeah goes bad and he makes that decision and then oh crap he has to stay with that decision then he goes gets even worse so the outcome is a mostly happy ending. I really like Tough Turf. Yeah, uh, Tough Turf is out of print on DVD. Very, very hard to find, but someone was nice enough to put it on YouTube. Yes, that's how I watched it again. I've seen it otherwise. It's delightful for the most part. I'm not too fond of Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. <laughs> oh, I want to say this. Uh, I looked up Jack Mack and the Heart Attack because something seemed familiar about their voice. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up and they did the final song in Police Academy. Okay. I have... You, you're not a Police Academy fan. Not really, and Most no. of it's because of, of my childhood. I, I still like... Oh, the, the Gooch is still selling it, you know? But uh, I watched the first one again, and I was like, oh, that song is so positive. Uh, if, you have to hear it. It's, it I'm going to be somebody. It's one of the most uplifting positive songs I've ever <laughs> heard. So I can't, I cannot be upset with Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. But they don't fit with the nope, movie. They don't. That's basically it. It's Oingo Boingo or nothing, really, for that scene. I just needed Oingo Boingo. Even the set was like Oingo boingo -y. Second movie. So you're saying new kids. They are brother and sister alone. I said Mac and Mom are dead. On their own. Without parents, without friends, trying to make it in a new town. Something bothering you, cousin? No, nothing ever bothers me. Facing a dangerous new enemy, a gang that will stop at nothing to add one new word to their lives. 
Terror. You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. From the director of the original Friday the 13th comes a new Ticket to Terror. Striking back. It came out a week later. James Spader this time is playing the villain with, I think he even dyed his eyebrows. Just very bleach blonde hair. Yeah, okay, he's already blonde, but they go peroxide blonde. Ooh. Like, not quite albino, but it's unnatural. It's yeah, really it's also, weird. which is which makes it kind of unsettling. I think if they had left his hair yeah. as it was, it might not have sold as well. There's something, you didn't like this movie, and I want to know why. Just everything that the bad guys did, they did really, like, they were really bad straight up. Now, the, what I was saying, the turning point... That wasn't in this movie. They were already bad. They were already cool. There was no real arc, positive or negative, with the bad guy. Well, here's the thing. It was a straight, constant bad. He was menacing, anyway. And then every decision that they made to pester these kids was worse. Well, for me, I felt like there wasn't... You don't necessarily need to see someone turn bad. Sometimes they're already rotten as it is. Yeah. Um, For me, when I went to high... That's what this did. Well, I moved to a new school around 7th grade, and, you know, there's kids that... I met that were automatically monsters. I mean, they were already monsters. I didn't even know them more than five minutes and they were already tormenting me. And this would lead on forever and ever and ever. And, it's, and I've even checked with people. They're still rotten, horrible people. And, oh. you know, you don't necessarily need to see the turning point for them to be villains. No, you don't. Some people are just are that way. Though, the one thing that's kind of missing is any sort of explanation where they came from. Like, you don't need to see the turn. You kind of want to know where it happened. Like, you know, uh, did they even show any of James Spader's family or his roots or anything. They only show that one kid the, and his little brother, right? Yeah, the little brother. He, all we know is that he sleeps in his underwear black speedos <laughs> or something like that. That he le- sleeps with the window open and has a cluttered room and he sells drugs. Yeah, so I will say the villains are very, very one note. So for me, I think part of it is it's an exploitation film. You know, I watched a lot of those vigilante exploitation films growing up, which maybe I shouldn't know because I was kind of young. <laughs> but uh, So I, I have an automatic affection for that kind of movie anyway even though they're not yeah. that great. It's a guilty pleasure. Um, but I thought Sean Cunningham handled the pacing very, very well. There, it doesn't seem to be a single wasted moment, and the action moves really well. It's it's probably his best movie. That's, That's not true. saying much, because... It's a very... Yeah, he's not a great director, but it's a very efficient film. Yeah, and uh, I thought the setups and the payoffs were really good. I thought his casting choices were excellent. The dad, he's the one from uh, Lois and Clark. He played Hawk Kent. He's really good. I really I like character actors. And, you know, it's the same way with Tough Turf. They picked a really good character actor for his dad. Yeah. And that kind of helps the movie. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look that up real quick. But I don't know who the guy is, the main character. I, I have never seen him before or since. Yeah. Sh- Shannon Presby, I've never seen him in anything. And I looked it up, and I didn't realize this, but he is the deputy district attorney in L.A. now. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Gosh. And Lori Laughlin is his sister in this movie. Right, and I'm sure it's one of her very first roles. Yeah. Eric Stoltz, Interesting about Eric Eric Stoltz, he was cast as Marty McFly first before Michael J. Fox, and that was being shot in 83 and 84, right? So it would have been immediately after probably this was made. And then he was fired because he didn't play the really broad comedy. He played very subtle. Yeah, or earnest. More more realistic. Yeah, more realistic. And here he's this bit part who barely has any lines, but he's like the glorified extra, but he's always next to Lori Loughlin, her boyfriend eventually in the movie. And his hair is absolutely not cool. But Eric Stoltz is known for pretty cool hair. Yeah. So his hair is so dorky. In this yeah, movie. I thought it was funny that both um, movies have a 
rising star that kind of breaks out in that movie, but they're like the sweet best friend or the goofy best friend, you know? So yeah, yeah. Uh, the movies are very similar in some ways, but the tones are completely different. Yeah, this one is much more sinister, creepy. I also noticed that it was written by Stephen Gyllenhaal, which is Jake and uh, Maggie. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, G- uh, Stephen Gyllenhaal. Uh, he wrote the script. That's why I think it works so well. Because if it was Sean Cunningham doing it, or you know, someone lower level, I just don't think it would have been as effective. Uh, yes, it is. A, it's a gr- real quick. What happens in the story, real quick? Because we're talking all about it, but we're not really. Oh, we do this. You know, though, it's funny. We do this every episode. Yeah. I feel like you should be telling the plot because <laughs> um, for people who have ever listened to me talk, I've explained it basically. It's like a pinball. My brain. Yeah. Is like no, a I, I get I'm it. I've done the same keep... thing in conversation with out there in the world. I'm very uh, rabbit trail. You just gotta follow me. <laughs> okay. So the story is uh, two sibs are left home alone. Their dad is a colonel in the army, and the whole beginning. With Tom Atkins, by the way. Yeah, Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. He has this big Thrilling. old glorified cameo. It's it's a big long montage of him training his kids to be awesome, like sports, running, fighting, all sorts of stuff. And then they got to go do this thing. He's actually a military badass, and he achieved some sort of anti-terrorist goal, and he was getting a, a medal. They die in a car wreck, and the kids are sent to his brothers, which is interesting. It's Florida. It is rural Florida, but like like almost swampland Florida, not quite swampy. But the, it's not it's not the palm trees Florida. Right there, there's a. I noticed that most uh, movies back in the '80s they had either a Canadian feel or a California feel. This one has a totally different atmosphere, which yeah, it makes it more unsettling. I think. Yeah, it's it's south, but it's not. It is southern. Like people, do, the bad guys do have hick accents. But their uncle runs an amusement park that he's trying to get up and running, and it's a Christmas theme. So like Santa's workshop amusement park, something like that. Which is also just such an odd setting. I'd never seen anything like that. I thought that was very interesting that they chose that. It, it comes into play with a like a, a beheading, you know, later. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the whole idea. They could have gone generic, you know. They could have gone with any setting, but it was very unique. It also gave them something to do during scenes. You know, it's like, well, we got to fix this place up. They destroy. It. I noticed yeah. that when he was when he met the sheriff's daughter and she was super flirting with him, that he was hammering the boards up onto the barn thing in the most inefficient way. And I was just like, dude, you're doing it wrong. You obviously, <laughs> come on, stop. She's distracting you. Just just wait and have a conversation with her. You keep on dropping the boards <laughs> anyway. So Lori Laughlin, they all go to school, but Lori Laughlin is the girl. So she's the attractive one. Not that the guy isn't attractive, but it's she's uh, the prey, put it that right. way. Because James Spader's character wants to go to the dance with her, and she says, no, I don't know you, so thanks, but no thanks. And then he gets really, like, passive-aggressive and then aggressive. And from that point on, the story turns into them just all out bullying them, wrecking the car, like like scratching up the paint on this cool old Cadillac. And they can't be held accountable, sort of thing. These yeah, which I still don't understand why the cop never bothered to ask the kids. It's like, hey, what, do you see this? Can I have, you know, I mean, why do you press charges? Can you do that with vandalism? Actually, yes. They There's a comment, I just watched this like minutes ago. There's a comment where the cop said, well, you could write a report. And the son said no. And then the son exacerbates oh, right. oh not the son the brother he exacerbates the situation by climbing in with rope and a knife to james spader's bedroom which is how we learn how he sleeps in his black speedos and hog ties him puts a sock in his mouth steals his money 
to pay for the car. So that's right. I totally forgot that. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's how kind of you're like the you're I James Spader's character in the other movie comes by and stops the mugging. That's understandable. This one, the kid <laughs> perpetuates a crime to get justice on the guy, and then they kill a rabbit and throw it in the shower when she's showering, and then they beat him up. Then they he just keeps exacerbating the situation until it, it all comes to the head. But they're they're actually right. It, it is a feel bad movie. I will yeah. warn you ahead of time. It is a feel bad. You'll feel grimy, and but at the same time, it when the final showdown comes, it's. I think it's uh, it's satisfying. Yeah, no, it actually is satisfying. It's just all the bad things that they do and the poor decisions that the brother does. There's another actor in there. Uh, he's basically James Spader's right-hand man, uh, John Bilbin. You've seen him in a bunch of movies. He's in Return yeah. of the Living Dead, Point Break, uh, Tombstone. I thought he was um, uh, really, really good. He's actually much more active. He was the one that made you really feel like, ugh. I hate this. Yeah, I think it's funny is there's a scene in the movie very early on when he goes, uh, James Spader looks at her and goes, you want to see crazy? You'll see crazy. And uh, you never really see his crazy until the very end, but it's John Philbin that's basically the one that makes you just uncomfortable the whole movie yeah. until the very yep. end. Yep. It seems like he's more the main villain, but you know. He's not, no, he's he's like the, the, the heavy, actually. So you have Spader being the main villain, the Bond villain. He's the, the guy. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so you have heavy, Jaws, or whomever, but that's this guy. Philbin, whatever you said his name is. It's just, this second time I watched it, I didn't feel nearly as bad as the first time I watched it. I watched it with my wife the first time, and we were both like, oh, this is bad. This, no. There's that one scene where one of the guys, a part of his crew, doesn't want to do anymore. He says, we've gone far enough. At the very beginning, I, yeah. I think we should stop here. The thing is, is that he never pulls back. Even at the very end, when they have shotguns and they're trying to kill them, whatever, he never pulls back, which I thought was uh, inconsistent with his character. He just says earlier on, not at the very beginning, but he said, "Let's just let it alone." What the hell are you talking about? I'm saying we might. And I'm only saying I don't know what the f- you're talking about. I'm just thinking that. Th- well, what the hell are you thinking for? You know, I never backed down before. You want out? You're out. I don't want to see you. I don't want to know you. You see me coming? You go the other way. You understand me? I didn't say I was out, Dutra. I don't want out. I'm in. I'm always in. Well, then shut up. Yeah, I just, I for some reason I just thought that maybe you know when it gets to the point of killing people. That he might have, like, you know what, during this chaos, I think I'm just going to slip out, you know, or something. You know, I thought it was strange. Yeah. Yeah, so the showdown takes place at the amusement park, and uh, they use so many clever ways of killing well, people. Well, I, I just want to say, first I still first think that off, one he, guy... He, one, at one point, he just jumps out of, like, the fun house, and he gets their attention. He jumps down from the roof, and it's, to me, that was, I was like, why did you do that? They're now shooting at you. You could have, what? Yeah, because they weren't, they weren't aiming it at yeah, his no, he thing, just right? was like, hey, over here. Jumps down, and then they just start shooting up the... And I was like, dude, you just made a really boneheaded decision. All the rest of the decisions that he made after that were not as boneheaded. Right. So maybe that was just a moment where it was like, oh, crap, I better learn really fast. I mean, true, they are kids, and they've made mistakes already, so maybe it was just kind of to push the idea yeah. that they were... And the rest of the just, time is all... Mistakes. It's like, no, right. But he's not a Navy SEAL, he's just a kid. Kind of <laughs> military training from his father. But he then does this. Right. While she serves almost as a decoy, he's going out and setting up booby traps, basically. Booby trap? I said booby trap! I know! <laughs> Sorry, I just watched Goonies again, so. <laughs> uh, so, he hoses down the bumper cars, which is all electrical, so he sets up a lock bar under a, a Ferris wheel chair cart thing so that it won't turn, So because it's right under the, where one of the guys is perched. They turn that on, 
And the guy flips out of... Can I ask you a question? Why does that bar exist? I don't understand. The bar exists. It should be on the front of it. It was under it. How it was? Okay. So the bar is how it's positioned. The bucket is leaning forward and the bar is behind it. But if it was positioned to the right a bit more, the bar would be in front of the bucket. And so then it would lock it. It's a lock for the bucket to be in place. Okay. Something like that. Um, but how he rigged it, he rigged it so it would make it so that it couldn't flip right. And ends up flipping the guy out and killing him. The electric thing, that worked on a dude. Then the decapitation. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Go not roller. not quite. We gotta step back. Uh, before, when they go there, they what bring their pit bull, which they got him riled up oh, on blood. Oh, that chicken is the blood. one scene it's very hard for me to take. Yeah. That was brutal. Because the dog is just trained to do what it does. Yeah. And uh, they blow it away, and I was like, "Oh, well, okay." They that. do that because Ooh. it's a hassle. It's like to do, to try to calm down a bloodthirsty dog that they made bloodthirsty in the first place. They s- try to sick it on his uncle who got shot, but they you know, but he's not shot yet. He's just covered in, in chicken blood. They try to sick it on him, and then he flips out and is like, "Hell no!" And he starts beating up James Spader. The dog gets off of its leash and goes after Gordo, the big dude, and he's got blood on him too, and it goes and rips out his throat. Yeah. Gordo's dead, then they shoot the uncle, and then they shoot the dog. So that's a really feel-bad scene all around. Yeah, that's the that's the part that's the hardest. It, yeah. Like, the rabbit, was the rabbit wasn't nearly as exploitive as it could have been, and I'm glad, and it was really quick and over right. with. And then the decapitation after the electrocution guy. What's his name again? John Philbin. Philbin and our hero guy are fighting by a roller coaster a little tiny roller coaster uh-huh. and it looks like the brother is gonna get killed because his head keeps getting smashed into one of the rails over and over again and then he like edges him out with his elbow and then replaces himself with that guy philbin guy and then the roller coaster comes over and chops his head off sean cunningham did friday the 13th so you'd expect the gore to be really exploitive right but it's not no he keeps a lot of it away there's blood i think he was going more for thriller not horror yeah so there's that but then there's the big fight with james spader he goes out and he's trying to burn her with uh gas from the gas pump out in front and then the brother and he wrestle, and then he just turns the flame onto James Spader, who gets all burned to pieces. I would have liked it if Lori Laughlin had been able to take him out. It seemed like it was more justified if she was able to finally get vengeance on him. Because, you know, she doesn't get anything. I don't know if it was the, the maybe the director felt that the girl had to stay innocent and clean from the whole violence. Yeah. yeah. Or what it's, it was. It's it's before Billie Jean, I think, this movie. Yeah, maybe right before. Where where I think that's one of the very first movies. And then, of course, Aliens uh, and Terminator and stuff that where women started to be tougher and taking uh, the action themselves. But um, I, I just feel kind of disappointed. I thought at least one thing she could have taken care of. But maybe the point of the director was for her to remain innocent and clean from the whole oh, thing. Oh, well, no, 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 no. She, Not she a victim. Did. She, she took, the, she took a, a two-by-four to James Spader. That's true, but, I mean, she didn't finish him off. She no, she didn't. hit him. But she at least did yeah. that. Um, do you, Is he still alive at the end? Do you think James Spader is just a cooked ball of meat who's still alive? I, I don't figured? know, because 
whoever that little brother is seems to be like, hey, maybe in 10 years we can have a sequel. Yeah, um, which never happened. This movie, by the way, um, uh, Columbia Pictures was severely disappointed that it wasn't more horror, and they dumped it on 180 screens over two weekends and then threw it away. The the brother, I didn't mean the brother. I meant the little brother of one of the hoods, one of the right. hoodlums guys. Yeah, at the end of the movie, they give you a little stinger. Yeah, he's he's in a scene earlier where he's like, can I blah, blah, blah? And his Philbin guy is like, well, shut your mouth. You're going to turn into a piece of crap like me. And then <laughs> at the end of the movie, after everybody's dead and the uh, uncle is exploiting the whole horrible is, the bloodbath at the at Santa's Funland. He's got this newspaper article framed out in front. He's got a cane and he's limping and he's like, I survived it! And he's doing the Barker routine. I'm Charlie McWilliams, a survivor of near fatal gunshot wounds and an eyewitness to the bloodbath at Funland. Yes sir, ladies and gentlemen, that's what they called it. Believe me, when they called it that, that's what it should have been called. See where the dope crazed vandals paid the ultimate price. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great idea. And the stinger... What you were saying, the stinger, that little boy, he's just staring at the Cadillac as it drives off with the the two couples, the brother and their girlfriend, boyfriends, just lingers on him like, I'm on Geechee one day. There's two different classes of stingers. We know now that the stinger seems to be modified to being that little end sequence uh, past the credits, you know, like the Marvel way of doing stingers, which is actually more appropriate because it is the tail end. But horror movies have a stinger is, oh, it's all over. Everything is back to, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, in the very last, like, 20 seconds, there'll be some sort of horror thing. Yeah. Like, oh, Freddy's hand comes out the window and grabs her and pulls her in. Or, you know, the kid jumps out of the lake. Yeah. That's a different kind of stinger, which I don't see much anymore. I don't, it's usually a horror movie. Thing. Yeah. And Sean Cunningham, horror, so. There could still be, like, a return to of the new kids or something. Like, the new new kids. There no, won't there'll be. never be. There, there is a better chance of Tough Turf 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is. If you look box office, Top Turf made ten million, and you still hear about it every once in a blue moon. Uh, new kids. Uh, besides you and me, I don't know anybody who's ever seen this movie, and it made no money. In fact, I'm not even sure you can find it on video. Oh, I think it's out there. I think is it? Yeah, I All think right. it's out there. Uh, I don't know. Shout might have it, or somebody like put it out. Pretty sure, at least on DVD, Blu-ray. I'm not so yeah, sure. Yeah, I've seen it. On, I've seen it on Crackle like uh, about a year ago where they sh- they uh, they had it up. And that was about it. Yeah, but it's definitely been an abandoned movie. Both movies are kind of abandoned just for different reasons. Uh, I I suggest both of them. Um, but you probably don't recommend. Well, that this time it wasn't as bad. Okay, <laughs> so this one time it what it was. It's not a date movie, okay? No, no, no. The other one is more of a date movie. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, unless she's really into horror and thrillers, then fine. But yeah, in general, I would say Tough Turf is more of the date movie. And that's probably what I mean. But like, you want to have a good time. This one did have a nice little cap yeah. until the sinister kid. They had a nice little cap about, like, no, heck no, this is our home. And actually, that little scene was the best feeling scene in the movie. Dude, what if that little kid, what's that kid's name? Did they ever say what that little kid's name is? I don't know, I don't remember. What if his name is Dennis? Dennis. And this is the new, like, Dennis the Menace all grown up. He's no longer a mischievous little imp, he's an evil little bastard. You're weird. (laughs) Dennis the Menace, the violent years. (laughs) The violent years. Directed by Ed Wood Jr. Jr. Alright everybody, that's it.